it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 728 for May 14th, 2022, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz for Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, and he's going to talk to us about Fido, and I don't mean the dog. <laughs> you've been dying to make that joke, haven't you? I have, I have. Now, this isn't the first time you've you've talked to us about Fido, but it's a more exciting time to talk to us about Fido. Is that right? Yeah. So Fido is on its third go-around, and on the first go-around, I don't think we ever talked about it, because it wasn't really of relevance to regular folk. But on the second go-around, it got interesting because our phones became involved, and that made it relevant to us as Apple users. And the third go-around, I think it might be for human beings. (laughs) Okay, that's a good sign. It is a good sign. So I guess I'll start by saying what happened, and then I'm going to take you back in time through the wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey machine, and then we'll re-arrive where we started. And you're going to start by defining Fido? Or somewhere uh, in here explain what we're talking about? I, yes, that's when we go back in time. Okay. So we had a press release this week, which got a lot of people excited. It was from something called the Fido Alliance, who got together with some people you may have heard of called Apple, Google, and Microsoft. And for good measure, the World Wide Web Consortium and the W3C got involved as well. Mm. So the FIDO Alliance are an industry group um, who have developed standards for doing secure authentication. The W3C are an industry group defining the standards that power the World Wide Web. So not the internet, the web. And we all know who Apple, Google and Microsoft are, the biggest OS vendors on planet Earth. So we have people who provide mechanisms for securely logging in, people who provide mechanisms for the internet working, and the makers of all of our major operating systems. They all got together to announce that they are they're all going to work together this year to, by the end of the year, be ready to go with a new standard that will be cross-platform that should, in theory, allow passwordless login for regular folk without all of the current pitfalls and hassles and difficulties with the system we have at the moment. Passwordless login sounds like a dream that will never come alive, Bart. Like, I mean, that might as well be the our, our flying cars to me. I don't believe yeah, it's I'm ever saying, possible. I think universal passwordless is probably a very long way ago, but the most important stuff being passwordless, I don't think is a long way away anymore. So even with none of my banks supporting true 2FA, still using SMS I'm not messaging. saying every bank. Yeah, look, you know, your mileage will vary depending on your institution. But I think a lot more of us will find a lot more things covered by passwordless two years from now than now. I think I really do think this time there were some pain points that we're going to learn about and they have dealt with them. OK. Or yeah, OK. This is the important proviso. So what was what we have here is a press release. What we have here is an agreement to start work on something. So with my work hat on, what we have here is a project initiation document. We have defined what it is we would like to achieve. We have defined who it is who shall be making up the team. And we have defined the time frame for the project. But actually, that's kind of all we have. We know what they want. They're going to spend a year at it and we know who's going to do it. But there's a lot of detail missing here. Okay. So you're going to ask me questions and I'm going to say, "Mm." (laughs) But you're still optimistic from what you're going to tell us. I am because it's a good design. Okay. Now, you can mess up a good design, but you can't turn a bad design into a good product. So at least if you have a good design, 
you have a chance of winning. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. So, so far, so good. Anyway, we shall see how, you know, no plan survives encounter with the enemy, as they say, but we shall see what happens. Anyway, let's let's go back in time. Let's go back in time to before Fido existed, and then we'll understand why they exist. So, before there was a Fido alliance, there were hardware tokens and dongles of all sorts of shapes, sizes, and colors for doing strong authentication where it really mattered, right? And these devices tended to involve making the human do something, or making the device pretend to be a keyboard, right? That was the YubiKey's magic trick, was that you plugged it in and it pretended to be a USB keyboard and you hit the button and would spit out the next key in the sequence. And so it was effectively like a one-time passcode with the predictable sequence, if you know the private key, but instead of you having to type it like the other one, the the other classic one was the RSA token, which basically had a very crappy LED screen that you could barely read unless the light was perfect, (laughs) and you had to type in the characters within a few seconds before they changed. And the YubiKey basically did that, but as a pretend keyboard. It used the keyboard API over USB. So, and everyone did their own thing, right? So if your company wanted to make you authenticate to your VPN using some sort of RSA token, they had to buy custom software from RSA, run it on their servers. You had to install a custom app on every laptop in your fleet to be able to do the RSA dance. If you wanted to use a YubiKey, you had to do different things. It was this, I would say giant, but basically anyone who was doing it and it was fairly thin on the ground was doing their own thing. Although some regular folks got to see it. A lot of people's corporate VPNs used used these kind of tokens, and PayPal got involved. You could get what they call the PayPal football, which is a little keychain dongle you could have as a PayPal customer in America, and only in America, where you could then get your, your six-digit code to log into PayPal, So I thought a, was very forward-thinking. It was like an RSA key except a giant football? No, it was an RSA key, but just imagine it in the shape of, like, the same size cute. as an RSA key, but in the shape of an American football. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you weren't looking around like the, the nuclear codes at a briefcase. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Okay. I guess that's the ultimate hardware token, now that I think about it. <laughs> um, most people then went on to SMS-based 2FA back when we believed that SMS was actually secure. And then later, when we realized SMS wasn't secure, we switched to Google Authenticator style, you know, type in the codes from your Authenticator app. Right. But... The first FIDO interface, the first FIDO standard was developed to standardize how the hardware tokens talk to your computers. So instead of having to have one set of software to make your VPN talk RSA and another set of software to make it talk YubiKey, you could just make the hardware talk FIDO and the tokens talk FIDO and then you could use anyone's token with anyone's system and at least your hardware-based authenticators would be compatible with each other. That was the job of FIDO. It was hardware. That's where it came from. Which worked great until they uh, got rid of USB-A on computers and then... (laughs) Right. So we didn't really talk about FIDO 1 because corporate IT in large organizations and three-letter acronym agencies cared about such things, but regular folk did not. Right, right, okay. But FIDO2 became interesting to us because with FIDO2, two very important things happened. The first is that they decided everyone has a phone. Why don't we make the phone be a two-in-one, a phone and a hardware token? Make the phone be a FIDO key. 
So that is what Fido 2 brought. And the second thing that came in the same suite was a new protocol called WebAuthn, which was a bridge between the browser and the phone's ability to be a hardware token. So in other words, you could have the browser on the phone use the phone's hardware token transparently. And and the hardware token was protected in all ways of being abused by anything else, right? Yeah, so it was as secure as a standalone hardware token, but it was just built into the phone. It was actually using the secure enclave or equivalent uh, TPM, Trusted Platform Module, for, for other infrastructures. So it was all the security of a separate hardware dongle, but effectively, imagine it like a YubiKey superglue to the back of your iPhone. Okay. That's effectively what Fido 2 was. And then WebAuthn bridged that across to the internet. And that made it a lot easier to do Fido-style hardware authentication. But there were still pain points. Now, this is where we are today, right? Fido 2 is real today. Fido 2 exists. Our iPhones and most Android phones can do Fido 2 because they have secure enclave or equivalent in the silicon and Android and iOS implement the Fido 2 standard and Safari, Chrome, Edge, and I'm sure Firefox too. Well, I think Firefox too. The major browsers, certainly the ones provided by the OS vendors, implement WebAuthn. So this is real. And I use a bunch of things which are either Fido 2 or indistinguishable from Fido 2 in their functionality to authenticate myself against Azure Active Directory, which gives me Office 365 and so much, much more, uh, GitHub, um, Adobe Creative Cloud, and my bank, thankfully, is in the 21st century. So I actually have proper authentication to my bank. Okay. But there are pain points caused by the fact that what you have is a pretend YubiKey superglue to the back of your iPhone. So the only device that can Fido 2 WebAuthn you is the device you enroll with the website or the service or whatever. So you go to GitHub and you say, I want to add a hardware token to my GitHub account. And then you add your phone as a hardware token to your GitHub account. And then your phone can authenticate to GitHub, but only your phone. Okay. I add my phone to Office 365 and then only my phone can authenticate. But that's not very useful. So what's ended up happening... So you mean you can't authenticate any other way? No, I mean I can't authenticate from anywhere else, like, say, my laptop. That's what I meant. Okay. So the workaround that has come into being is that all of these companies are now making custom apps that that you run on your phone, because your phone has your FIDO key, and then they do a push notification to your phone saying, I'd like to log in. Your phone does the FIDO bit and then answers back to their server. Is that so? I, I think have. you told me I actually have that on one of my accounts because I called you and asked you, hey, what is my bank doing? I do have one bank that does that. It says, check your phone and you go over to the phone and you go, oh, yeah, OK. And you click it and then all of a sudden your computer can get in. Yes, that is. So that is using either FIDO2 or something that is functionally equivalent. OK. It is a hardware protected. Your phone is acting as an RSA style token. Yeah. OK. Well, I, I take it back. But of course, one of my, one of my banks is good. <laughs> good. But of course, you have, instead of this solving the problem by standardizing everything, I have the Microsoft Authenticator app. I have one password doing different one-time passwords. I have an Adobe Authenticator app. Like, 
I haven't actually solved the problem here. I've just ended up installing a whole bunch of third-party apps because mm. this push notification is in the middle of everything. And that is probably, that is one of the two biggest pain points. The second big pain point is, it's my phone is enrolled. So when I do the nerd thing and get a new shiny, I have to start all over again. Oh. Because it's now a different YubiKey superglue to my pretend iPhone, or pretend YubiKey superglue to my iPhone. So it's starting from scratch. And I'll be honest, I have had my iPhone for eight months now. When I open the Microsoft Authenticator app, two out of the five accounts still have a bright red exclamation mark because I haven't needed them and I couldn't be bothered. Oh, jeez. So, you know who you are, but you haven't seen me on your servers in a while. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not going to. It's just so much effort. It's clunky. So... These are the problems. These are clearly the pain points to be solved with the new iteration of Fido. This is why they went and had a rethink. And they have decided that pretending... So real hardware and pretend hardware are not a part of what they're doing now. They're parting ways with pretending to be hardware and they're moving over to what they're calling passkeys. Now, passkey is just a human-friendly name for a public and private key pair. Okay. We, so we like those, right? We do like those because they're an extremely strong form of authentication. So what's going to happen is that Fido Alliance are providing the protocols to allow our devices to manage a collection of public and private key pairs, or passkeys as they're calling them, synchronize them between our devices... And OS-level protections for the private keys. So on iOS, that means putting it into the secure enclave, protecting it with Face ID, but it can be securely synchronized to all of your devices in the same way that the keychain can and so forth. So the idea is that all of your devices will be able to authenticate as you. And if you buy a new device, you just sync to it and it can join in the fun too, instead of having to start over. And that can be an Android phone with a Windows machine and an uh, iPad. Put a pin on that question. (laughs) Okay. Let's keep it simple for now. If you're in the Apple universe, all your Apple stuff will work. If you're in the Windows universe, all your Windows stuff will work. If you're in the Google universe, all your Google stuff will work. That much I know for certain. Okay. The rest is a bit more vague. The other thing they've decided to solve is, okay, if all of my devices can use my pass keys, and if I can even buy a new device and have it sync, that covers me a lot of the time, but not all of the time. So if this is built in as a standard operating system feature, then any device that has your pass key that is physically close to the device you're trying to use at the moment could use Bluetooth to authenticate you from nearby. And that is exactly what is included here. So that might take care of my Apple TV authenticating from my iPhone? Your Apple TV should be able to just synchronize over iCloud, so it shouldn't even well, need okay. that. Your Apple TV should just magically work. My, Roku, my Roku. Well, no, you're, you're in someone else's office and you need to log into something quickly. You'll just bring your phone close to their machine and log in. So that because all of a sudden sounds real scary, doesn't it? What, the way no, it doesn't because it's key. No, because your private key never leaves your iPhone. Yeah, but my phone simply being near somebody else's device would allow them to log into my account? No, it would allow you to. You'd have to approve it. On on the phone? On the phone. Right. The phone wouldn't just... You would have to face ID. Okay. Or touch ID. Or you would have to prove to the <laughs> phone that you meant it. Hmm. 
Okay. Because right? the phone's job. So the the Fido Alliance are saying it is the it is your device's operating system's job to protect your passkeys. That responsibility is being taken out of hardware and handed to the operating system. Now, Apple have a long history of doing that extremely well, thanks to their secure enclave, and they have just very good at this. And frankly, Microsoft have gotten better at this too with the um, trusted platform module implementation and so forth. So this is actually not a bad idea at all because we kind of have to trust our operating system because it literally does everything. Right, right. Not a bad place to put your trust. So from the point of view of a user, you're going to go to a website and enable a pass key on your account once, and it will work on all of your devices without you having to install a helper app of any kind. And when you buy a new device, it'll just work on that new device. And when you're using someone else's device, as long as you have one of your devices nearby within Bluetooth range, you can securely beam your authentication across and work away. And there literally is no password. So it's not that you're going to be able to go through a series of screens. It's just going to happen automatically? Well, there, there will be a screen when it needs you to tell it something. And that's when you a, authenticate to your, your face or whatever? Yeah. But it will be an operating system level feature because it's a standard protocol that's going to be implemented by iOS, macOS, Windows, Android. Okay. So it's going to be much more like Something like USB that just works everywhere, right? You take a USB stick and you plug it in everywhere and it works. Well, this is like a wireless version of that for passwords. So it's not going to be an app. It's going to be a part of the operating system. It's just going to be functionality like anything else you do. So let's look a little deeper at what these passkeys are. So it's just asymmetric encryption, but let's not assume that everyone listening here knows what that is. So with asymmetric encryption, what makes it asymmetric is that you have two keys. And you just arbitrarily decide, I shall call you the private key and I shall call you the public key, right? There's no magic difference difference between between them, them, except one always stays private. You don't switch. Yeah, exactly. You choose to keep one secret and you choose to share the other. And you should never, well, not just should you never, don't ever, ever change, right? When you make something the private key, keep it private forever because the public key's safety depends on it. So... The way it works is if I encrypt something with a private key, only the public key can decrypt it. And much more importantly for authentication, if something is encrypted with the public key, it can only be decrypted with the private key. So let's say you're a website, Alison. I am going to say, I'm going to log into you using our current mechanisms, or maybe I'm creating a new account for the first time. Let's pretend I'm creating a new account for the first time. So in the old universe, you would give me a box to type in my username and a box to type in my email address and a box to type in a password and a box to type it in again. I would hit submit and I would then trust, and trust is the word, that you would safely keep that password a secret, which is now a shared secret between us. Right. And you know I'm me because I know the shared secret. Right. Well, in this world... You would give me a box and I would give you a username and I would give you an email address and I I would give you nothing else. But my browser and operating system would give you a public key. Oh, okay. And you would store the public key. Okay. I come back tomorrow and I want to log in. In the old world, I would give you my username and I would give you the shared secret, i.e. the password. 
and you would check that your copy of the secret and my copy of the secret match. And if they do, I'm me and you let me in. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's how what secret am I sharing? No, no. So I'm saying in the old world, it's the password. Right. But what's happening so in, in the old world? world? No, no. But I haven't got the new. Oh, world I'm yet. sorry. I'm that, okay. In the old world. Got you. Okay. Right. So in the old world, I give you my username and my password, which is our little shared secret. And then you check that. Oh, yeah, that is indeed the secret we agreed. Therefore, you can log in. So in the new world, I say, I'd like to log in, please. Here's my username. And you make up a giant big random number. Massive big thing, right? A few hundred bits. You encrypt it with my public key. And you give it to me. If I am me, I am the only person on planet Earth who can decrypt that garbage and give you back what you gave me. Okay, so you I never stored the uh the public well the public key is useless. It can't just be the public key. It's got to be the public key encrypted with something else. Well no, it's, it's 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 the public key and the other half is in my possession. That's what makes it magic. Right, right. But I mean, but when I get it, I I don't just just storing the public key wouldn't cause any of this to work. I have to store it. No, no. You have to store it. And that gives you everything you need to prove that I'm me. But it's not a secret. But, okay, but you just said that it had to be all uh, encrypted with this giant long number. No, 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 no. Okay, I, sorry. You have my public key completely in the open. You could skywrite it across Los Angeles. Right. <laughs> but you know that my username matches that public key. Mm-hmm. And you can store it. You can protect it as if it was a secret if you like, just because you don't want your user accounts all over the internet, because that's a bit of a privacy violation. Mm -hmm. But it's not a security failing for you to share that public key. You could be breached five million ways from Sunday and the attacker gets the public key. It's of no value, right? But you have the public key. That's the point here. You have the public key. Right. I come along and I say, I would like to log in, please. And you now have to convince yourself that I really am me. Okay. So in the old world, we would exchange the shared secret, and that would prove to you that I am me. In the new world, there is no shared secret. You just have my public key. So how do you use that public key to prove that I am really me? That's the problem to be solved. Right. You invent some random gibberish, and you take a note of it temporarily, and you take that random gibberish, and you encrypt it with my public key. Ah, and you give it to me. Which can only be unencrypted with your private key. Correct. And then your if system me, sends something back to me saying this is the... I send you back the original gibberish. Oh, 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 got you, got you, got you. Okay, so the gibberish is what you can pull out with the seat, with your private key. And only I can do that because only I have the private key to turn right. the encrypted gibberish back into plain text gibberish. Okay. The, the, and because it's... The piece I was missing was that I'm not storing your uh, public key with random gibberish. I'm generating that on the fly. Right. And every time I log in, you give me different random gibberish. Right. So if we are being eavesdropped on by everyone on planet Earth, they don't achieve anything because it's different Every single solitary time. You're never going to challenge me twice with the same random gibberish. I'm actually glad I was confused because that now that makes a lot more sense. Exactly. So so I am not trusting you with a secret. Yeah. And yet we have secure authentication. Right, right. 
So I don't have to trust that you are properly salting and hashing my passwords, which is something I cannot verify, right? Mm -hmm. There are ways to securely use passwords. There are good cryptographic algorithms that can salt and hash those passwords so they can't be stolen in a data breach. But I have no way of knowing that you are bothering to salt my password at all, let alone properly. So as a user of the internet with passwords, I just have to assume that every every website is terrible because I have no way to know whether you're terrible or fantastic. But if all I ever give you is a public key, it doesn't matter to me. Wow. I have not trusted you. So those uh, the private key today for me and anybody who's been following programming by stealth, where it is, is uh, it's in, what is it, in slash etc dot ssh or something like that? Okay, so a system that uses public key cryptography is ssh password, ssh uh, key-based logins. Right. And those keys are stored by default. They're just text files, so they can be stored right. in, but by default, they're stored in your .ssh folder. Right. So my private key is sitting on my hard drive that yes, anybody, which, somebody who broke into my house could get to if they figured out what my password was to my Mac, which is not the strongest password on earth. It's also backed up to an, to a, uh, uh, an external drive by Carbon Copy Cloner. That's probably not so protected. Depend, anyway. Right, but it depends on whether or not you used SSH's ability to encrypt your private key. So you use a password to unlock the private key. And then you may it's or may not be using file. Mac. It's just a text right, file. Right, but the text file, does the text file store a plain text or an encrypted private key? Depending on which instructions you followed, the answer could be either. So if you're doing SSH well, the text file contains an encrypted copy of your private key. And then the Mac keychain can handle decrypting it for you behind your back. Or when you SSH, you'll be asked to enter the password to the key. Right. Right, which I am way too often. I can't figure out how. I know you've taught us how to not do that. But we're talking about normal humans now. Normal humans are going to have to be doing this? Okay, but SSH is a protocol for nerds by nerds. Okay. It is using the same mathematical primitive. But the reason that this is different is because Microsoft, Google, and Apple are going to build this into the operating system. It will be completely transparent to you, the user. Ah. You will go to a website and you will click a button that says, enroll me with the passkey. Okay. The operating system will receive the passkey. The operating system will store the passkey. The operating system will sync the passkeys. And the operating system will offer you a button, I presume, to use the passkey. So when you go to log in, you'll just push a button that says, yep, allow this site to use my passkey. And in you will go. And it may do a face ID or it may do a touch ID. That will depend on your settings, the operating system settings, but the operating system will do all the work. So I'm, which is similar to a password manager. Yeah, but I'm. I wasn't intentionally but, being a a, a a straight man. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make any sense in today's world. A straight person. I wasn't trying to. to, to <laughs> That's not much better. What have we got? What, what could we do here? Uh, I wasn't trying to th- give you a softball, <laughs> but. It worked out that way, that that's the, that's the answer that we needed to hear. Yeah, it is. It really is. That is what makes this different, is that it's going to be built into the operating system, not an app, not some sort of optional plugin, the operating system. And not just, when I say the operating system, I literally mean all of them, like in regular use by regular human beings. So this is, this is similar to having a built-in password manager, but the big difference is it's 
what's being shared is what's being sorry what's being handled for you is that private is that public key private key dance we described so the management aspect is the same so the user experience is the same it just happens by magic but there's no secret being entrusted to the website so the user experience is fluid and the website isn't required to be secure anymore we nice. don't have to trust websites and let's face it websites have earned our distrust like I'm not even exaggerating. Usually when we use the word billions, we human beings are exaggerating because it's a nice word. Billions sounds good. <laughs> I have been to billions of meetings. No, you haven't. If you've been to a million a day, you still haven't been to a billion meetings. But there have been billions of accounts leaked in the last few years. Yahoo leaked three of them. <laughs> three billion of them, that is. Remember when that was the th the story we just kept talking about every time it happened, going, really? Again? Yeah, because they said, oh no, we leaked a billion. And we're like, oh! And then, yeah, we had a closer look. It was two. And then they had a third look. I was like, oh, look, we found another billion. Would you look at that? Unbelievable. So yeah, it's horrific. Okay. So this all sounds pretty darn good, right? As a design, as a fundamental concept... See why I'm excited about this? Yeah, absolutely. But this is the start of a design project, so there are still some outstanding questions. So what am I going to be looking for as this year progresses? Hey, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you for just a second. Did you skip over the part about how does this help fight phishing? That's later, I think. Uh Okay. No, it's not later in the show notes because I've run out of show notes. Where the sudden hell did I skip? <laughs> the answer is yes, I did. But where did I skip over it? Oh, there we go. It was before I was supposed to say it's better than a password manager. So yeah, good. Thank you, Alison. So if you read the press releases or indeed listen to interviews, Ken Ray got to interview the head of PR for Fido, which is nice. That was, that's linked in the show notes. Um, she was very keen to point out that this is a really good defense against phishing. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So the first thing is, there's no secret that the website is storing. So what is there to fish you from? There is a one-off piece of gibberish that will never be used again in the age of the universe. That is of no value to a fisher. Right, so right. So what, what could they possibly try to fish? And secondly, it's going to be a computer talking to a computer, right? You mm. are not going to be picking the pass key. Your operating system is going to be saying, ah, I know this app or I know this website. Here's the matching key. Your computer is not confused by a typoed domain name. Your computer is not used by, is not confused by a Cyrillic character that looks just like an or but isn't, right? Your computer is never going to use Fido against the wrong server because it's not confused. We humans are confused, but the server isn't. So there's just no room here for the human squishy organic bit to be tricked, which is, that is what phishing is. It's tricking the squishy organic bit, and the squishy organic bit doesn't get to ruin this. That's so, fabulous. That's fabulous. I'm, fabulous. I'm thinking of uh, Colonel Clank from, uh, what was that old 1960s TV show? Where he'd always say, I know nothing. Hogan's Heroes? Hogan's Heroes. I know not, I think. That's it. I know nothing. Because you won't know anything. There's nothing that you can won't be fished from you. Exactly. That's that's exactly. delightfully freeing. Isn't it? Exactly. So regular folk don't have to worry their heads about 
all of this stuff because they're just it's not their job anymore. They've outsourced it to the operating system, which is better at it. And yeah, exactly. We should never have been trusted with this in the first place. No, <laughs> we shouldn't because we're squishy and human and organic. Right. Exactly. Okay. So now so, you can skip forward. <laughs> now I can go to my open question. So what is it I'm going to be watching this year? So, all right. In terms of the operating system doing a good job of reliably synchronizing the private keys between our devices within a single ecosystem, I think the chances of that are extremely good because all of the vendors already have that functionality and they've been doing it for years. So I don't see any reason that that won't just work. But what I'm much more concerned about are switchers and sliders. Oh, my, my, question ab- my question about people who have multiple devices across companies? Right. A switcher is someone who moves from one to the other, and that's a one-off transaction. And if that user experience is a bit clunky, I'll be disappointed, but okay. But sliders are the people I'm particularly keen. I'm thinking Nightwise here. Nightwise is who's in my head, right? Nightwise spends his whole time living on all different operating systems simultaneously. To be a, a slider, you need to not just have the ability to do a one-off switch, you need to have a permanent sync. Well, between... you don't even have to be as crazy as Nightwise. Every Windows, no, but every he, Windows, if it works for him. But every Windows user is a slider because there is no Windows phone. Every Windows user oh, is yeah. either using iOS or Android. Every That's a really good point because Windows user. Microsoft abandoned Windows Mobile. I, yeah, how did that not occur to me until now? You're, you're absolutely right, Alice. So this yes. has to be solved by Microsoft, probably. At the very working yeah, with so, Google and Apple, so they're all working together. They've got to figure this one out because that's see, massive. that's my hope, right? That's my hope because why go to the bother of making this be a three-company partnership if you're not going to solve that problem? Why go to all of the bother to negotiate all of that cooperation if you're not going to address that problem? So I'm very hopeful that this is going to be worked out. But to me, that's the single biggest thing I want to see. The other thing I'm curious about is what about third-party browsers? So I have no doubt that the browser provided by the OS vendor is going to implement the various APIs perfectly. But how, how long will it be until the Windows, Mac, and Android API that Firefox will need to interface with becomes available? Because right. Firefox can't start to put themselves in the middle between the operating system and the website yeah. until the operating system has defined the connector, right? Until we know if it's Lightning or USB-C, Firefox can't plug in, <laughs> for, for want of an analogy. And then there's obviously the other side of the equation here. There's a website. So websites, most of them today are storing shared secrets, i.e. passwords. But we don't want them to do that. We want them to accept and store public keys and to issue challenges instead of to just do a string compare. So they need to implement their side of the bargain as well. Now, what's that like on that side? Do we know? To be honest, it's very similar to the code they already have on that side for doing certificate-based authentication like a lot of tax websites require. It's actually very similar technology. And the other thing that gives me a lot of hope that this will be quite painless is that it is very, 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 very normal on the modern internet to see buttons called log in with Facebook or log in with Apple or log in with Google. Right. Those buttons also work in a very similar way to this because they're not storing your password with your username when you log in with Apple. 
they're storing a token which has been given to them by Apple and which they have to do cryptographic handoff on to prove authentication, etc. So actually, it's a very similar challenge response. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the primitives are all kind of in place already. Okay. And finally, the other reason I'm optimistic is that today, because there is such a proliferation of login with, very few websites roll their own code. They either pay for a commercial library that does all this integration for them, or they use an open source one that does all this integration for them. Mm. But they're using third-party code. So that means that there is a small number of maintainers who have to add this functionality for a large number of websites to get it. So you have a, a multiplier effect here. A few projects, a few products add this functionality and thousands and thousands of websites get it straight away because they're already outsourcing authentication to these products because it's already so difficult. Yeah, that's not really ubiquitous, though. I mean, it's a lot. No. It's common to see it. Uh, Let me put it that way. It's common. It's very common to see it. So that means that I think there's a good chance of getting traction. And once it becomes a kind of thing that people want, because this will be a smoother user experience than Mm -hmm. usernames and passwords. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a desire by users to have this everywhere. So this should, the pressures, the pressures and incentives should line up. Yeah, if we get it on a, some big sites. Which it, we it will, will it because pressure, Google have some big ones. Yeah, it'll pressure the other companies. And if you can't get somebody to log in and they go somewhere else because it's easier. You've lost them. You've lost them, yeah. I've heard people yeah. say that they buy more things if they see the uh, the Apple Pay button because they know they're not yeah, going to have to put in their, their address and their credit card and all that. It's like, ah, I just push a button. Or face ID my face and it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I click a button, I face ID and we're off. And look, something yeah, came yeah. to my house and it was like it was free because it's on my credit card. <laughs> yeah, God, that, that, that dark gray Amazon van is here far too often. <laughs> But it's so easy. I know. It's slight to pay. Anyway, so that actually gives me quite a bit of hope. So I, so far, I'm not depressed yet. Um, and then, of course, we still have, you know, we still need to see how the UI looks. We still need to see how, well, you know, how well or poorly this all gets implemented. But, I, you know, as an Apple user, I'm fairly confident Apple will get their ducks in a row here on this. I think this is entirely within Apple's ken to do this well. Um. And then there is still the point that this is going to greatly reduce passwords, but it can't get them to zero because our operating systems are going to be responsible for being the keepers of our passkeys. So we can't use a passkey to authenticate against the lock, against the vault that stores our passkeys. That is a circular dependency. So we're going to have to continue to have some sort of way to prove to Apple that we are us if we lose our if we lose all of our phones. So there there's going to have to be some sort of fallback position. That might be a QR code that you print out and put in a safety deposit box and that you have to mail to Apple or something if you hmm. get locked out of all of your devices. So there are ways around this. But I imagine that what's going to happen is a lot of places will have you have a very, very long password as a fallback or something like that. Or maybe they'll give you a big, long key as a recovery key or something. But I don't think we're going to be fully, fully without passwords because we have to authenticate to Apple 
slash Google slash Microsoft to get at our passkeys to get at everything else. Which is kind of the problem we have with one password and stuff. So, you know, maybe this gets us down to a password. But it's not a magic solution to just get rid of all passwords everywhere instantly all at once. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm kind of tilting my head here thinking about some of the problems that Apple introduces where it says, okay, you need to authenticate on a different device. And if you don't have two Apple devices, you're in trouble. Rob Dunwood has a an iPad, but he does not have an iPhone and he does not have a Mac. And he's actually run into problems where he can't authenticate because he doesn't have a second Apple device. Yeah, and so for those kind of things, I would imagine that you would still have a fallback password on your Apple ID. But maybe that would be the only password you'd need, in which case it's nowhere near as onerous as having hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah. So it is better but it is not utopia. So where are we today? They're, they've they've agreed on this framework and now they're just yes. going to run off into their corners or they're, they're working together on this stuff or... Well, so as I understand it, what's going to happen over the next couple of months is that Google, Apple and Microsoft are going to get the OS level stuff done. And my understanding is that will include the bit where they all talk to each other so that the pass keys can be shared properly between your Windows device and your iPhone and so forth. So they should be doing that, and the three of them are in the room together, so that should be that. In parallel with that, I presume that the W3C are going to work with the FIDO people to define the API between the web browser and the web site. Right, because mm-hmm. that communication has to be standardized. So that API has to be finalized. And that's where the W3C come into this. And then the browse, once that API is in place, there's also going to have to be an API between the OS and the browser. And so I'm not entirely sure who's in the room for that discussion, but that has to be going on too. Right. So all of those parts have to be taken care of. And so what I want to see coming out as part of this process is How are the vendors going to implement the creation and syncing of the pass keys? How are they going to provide the interoperability for the switches and the sliders? How are third-party browsers going to join in? And how quickly are websites going to roll this out? They are the four things I'm watching for. Okay. That is, yeah, so that is is where we stand at the moment. There's um, one group that can't be in the room because it isn't a company, it doesn't exist, is Linux. So... This is, yeah, so if this is all, like everything FIDO have ever done has been open APIs. And so there are going to be APIs that are going to be defined. So that means the open source community can jump in once the APIs are fixed. Right. And then implement the APIs themselves. But they're going to have to come after the API settles down. So Apple, Google, and Microsoft are going to negotiate among themselves to figure out what APIs what functions are needed? What arguments should they take? What return value should they have? Right? That's all an API is. Sure. Right? List of function names, arguments, and return types. And they're going to have to figure out what they need. And whatever they need is what Linux needs. So once they're finished arguing about it, the API should be, you know, published. And once the API exists, a developer can literally just implement it. Right? It's a spec. An API is a spec. No, but I'm, but I'm saying the Linux operating system has to... Implement implemented the API. the API as well. And if they're, it, it's just unfortunate that there isn't any way for them to not have to wait until everybody else is done. Or at least until there's like a beta one or something. Yeah, yeah. 
And the W3C are quite good about working in the open, so it's possible that more of this is going to happen on public Git repositories. Good, good, yeah. It, it, I, I don't know all of those details, and they certainly weren't, you know, they, they certainly weren't in the press release, and they certainly weren't uh, in the interview Ken did with the head of PR. Right? <laughs> she wasn't talking about the Git strategy that's going to be used for this kind of stuff. Um, so these are all open questions. So the... Uh the the one thing I'm worried about is this is going to be like thread where every every six months we go, okay, it's just a few more months away and then it's a few more months away because this sounds kind of like uh, the hard part is still yet to come or do you feel like this was the hard part? I think agreeing what the problem to be solved, like agreeing on how to solve the problem, right? We all know the problem is, oh, passwords suck. Mm-hmm. But the universe of possible answers to that problem is immense. So having agreed a sensible, definable, describable approach is huge. Having the three most important players in the room is huge. So I think in terms of the non-techie stuff, those ducks are lined up. Okay, okay. And I think that's harder. Yeah, implementation is math. (laughs) Programming. Right, math logic, which is a subset of math, any mathematician will tell you. Any mathematician will tell you computers are logic machines. So they're just maths. (laughs) Right, right. And that's harder than than people deciding things are the way a solution is going to be uh, created. So that that does sound optimistic. Yeah, I, I think we're on a good road here. And the right people are around the table with each other. And it's all being coordinated through two good parent organizations. The FIDO Alliance and the W3C are two good stewards of these kind of interoperability things. They both have a history of succeeding in getting frenemies, for want of a better term, to work together. Yeah, yeah. And they all know this can't be done standalone. This is not a competitive advantage. Yeah, it's one of those rare things where the the incentive is is for everyone to cooperate because unless everyone cooperates, no one gets to win. Right, right. Now, when it comes to websites, then it is a competitive advantage to be implementing this when it's there, which is good, right? That's that's a, the incentive for the website lines up with our desires as as users. Yeah. And whenever incentives line up, things tend to happen. It's when the incentives require one side or the other to be altruistic. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's much easier to get enlightened self-interest than it is altruism. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we can look back to uh, what are those experiments they've done with monkeys where a sense of fairness, like like, yes. like they'll, they'll give up one bean if the other monkey has two beans. Like they won't even they keep their They love cucumbers. No, it's grapes. Grapes? It's grapes. It's grapes. Is that they what adore they do? grapes. So if you give a monkey one grape, they'll be delighted. If you show the next monkey getting two and you give them one, they'll throw it in your face. <laughs> No fair. It's one grape. <laughs> so we can't help ourselves. It's in our, it's in our, uh, in our squishy organic bits, right? Our squishy organic bits. And the fact that you replayed that whole episode about how squishy our organic bits are from the wonderful Dr. Gary uh, this week is, uh, seems appropriate somehow. <laughs> well, that sounds good. Well, this, it's only been about two and a half years. I went back and looked it up. It was August of 2019 that you told us about wow. FIDO1. So it's only been two and a half years. So hopefully it'll be shorter than two and a half years before we come back with FIDO3. I hope so. Wow, has it been that long? It seems like only yesterday. Did I do the math right? 2019? Oh, no, you probably did. We've had two years of pandemic. Yeah, that's true. Those years didn't exist, so. Yeah, so two and a half years ago is half a year ago. Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sounds good. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you came on to talk to us about it. I'd heard a little bit about it on Daily Tech News Show with Tom Merritt, but uh, this is the deep dive I definitely wanted to hear. And when you when you wrote to me and said, "Hey, can we do a Fido thing?" I was like, "Yay!" Yeah, and I'm glad you said yes because I was trying to see how could I squeeze this into a security bits and not take over the whole security bits and. This is much better. So no, and this, thank you for doing this. This was fun. Yeah, and it, it wasn't a heavy lifting. I think this counts as light because this is actually where security can get to light, right? Yeah, it can be. Light. That is the point. <laughs> that is actually the point. Exactly. Okay, uh, I'm not quite sure which of my favorite endings to use, but I'm actually good. Okay, this is a light. This is all about how everything's going to become easier. So I'm going to end by wishing everyone happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.